Blog Talk Radio. And now, here's your host, William Powell. The king of DC media. Good night, my friends. I welcome film historian Walter Frith, who will discuss the 2020 Oscars in this, the Inside Acting Show's fourth annual Oscar special. Now, this will be the 92nd Oscars, and it will be held 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And it will be seen on ABC Sunday, February 9th. Now, Walter is a native of uh, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. He's been a broadcaster. He's been an actor. He's a self-taught journalist. His favorite film genres include science fiction, drama, and crime. His favorite movie is The Godfather, and his favorite TV show is The Sopranos. And if you go out on YouTube, you can find his breakdown of the uh, the last episode of that show. Matter of fact, if you want a breakdown of any movie, Walters is the, is the guy to talk to. He can take any movie and tell you more about the details of said movie than you can you can you could even imagine. So we're gonna dig into the uh the best supporting actress and best actor, best actress, best actor, best director, best picture categories tonight for the Oscars. And uh we're gonna have a lot of fun. So I see that uh Walter is indeed on the on the board here. I'm gonna bring him on the air. Good evening, Walter. Uh, good evening, William. How are you this evening? Man, I'm fantastic. So, you know, before we really get rolling into these categories, I think we should dedicate dedicate the show to the great Kirk Douglas. I mean, just talk for a minute about how great he was. Well, before we start, William, I just want to say thank you very much for having me on the show again this year. It's an, it's an extreme pleasure to be back. And I look forward to our time together this evening. So, yes, indeed, let's talk about Kirk Douglas for a moment. Kirk Douglas passed away yesterday, uh, February the 5th, and he was 103 years old. And he was born on December the 9th, 1916, in Amsterdam, New York. And he passed away yesterday in Los Angeles at the age of 103. And uh, his son, uh, probably more famous than he was, uh, Michael Douglas, uh, made the announcement. And Kirk Douglas had a remarkable career. The very first movie I can remember seeing him in goes back to 1949 when he was in Joseph L. Mankiewicz's A Letter to Three Wives. And then he carved out his own career artistically uh, by getting three Oscar nominations in his life. For Champion in 1949, he played a boxer. Uh, For The Bad and the Beautiful in 1952, he played a cutthroat movie producer. And then in 1956, he played Vincent Van Gogh in the movie Lust for Life. Now, Kirk Douglas himself never did win a competitive Oscar, but he was awarded an honorary Oscar in 1996 by Steven Spielberg uh, at the Oscars that year. And his honorary award was for, quote, 50 years as a creative and moral force in the motion picture community. And, you know, when you look outside of his motion picture career, Kirk Douglas was very instrumental in helping end the blacklist. Now, for people who don't know what that means, it means that there was a movement underway back in the 1950s 
uh, by Congress in the United States to blacklist people in the motion picture business who are suspected of having communist ties or being directly associated as card-carrying members of the Communist Party. And a lot of careers were destroyed. You can look it up online and see just how many people went down. Uh, a lot of them did not have their careers revived, but Kirk Douglas did help uh, quite a few of them revive their careers. And uh, he is to be probably commended for that as much as he is to be for his motion picture career. So he continued to act into his 90s, actually. His very last project was in 2008 when he appeared in a TV movie called Empire State Building Murders. So that would have put him at age 92. And Kirk Douglas suffered a debilitating stroke in 1996, and he was able to appear in five projects, three movies and two TV movies after that. And um, he had it pretty good right up until the end of his life. So that's, that's the story of Kirk Douglas, William. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating, all the, the great roles that he had. Uh, what was it? I believe it was Paths of Glory, if I'm not mistaken, with Kubrick. There's so That's many right. great ones. Yeah. Well, the thing about yeah. him was, you know, when he worked on it, I'm glad you brought that up, because when he worked on Paths of Glory, Stanley Kubrick was still an up-and-coming director. He did not have all the perks that a top film director has, like Final Cut, being able to choose his own film projects. Because their work together was so successful on Paths of Glory, Kirk Douglas asked Stanley Kubrick to step in after the original director, Tony Mann, was fired from Spartacus in 1960, and he asked Kubrick to step in almost immediately with very little prep time to direct that. And that was the film that Kubrick didn't mind stepping in for, but he didn't really feel like it was his own film, and he demanded that the studios give him like I said, final cut and the ability to pick his own projects after that. And I think every great actor has that one iconic role that they're known for. You know, um, in Charlton Heston's case, it's probably Ben Hur, made the year before in 1959. But I think Spartacus is the film that uh, most people are going to remember Kirk Douglas for, especially people who don't know a lot about his career in detail. Uh, that's the film that they're going to they're going to remember him the most for. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Walter, so let's talk about uh, the nominees for uh, Best Supporting Actress. I'm looking here. It's just so many great ones. Well, it is a good category this year, William, and the nominees are Kathy Bates in Richard Jewell, Laura Dern in Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson in Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh in Little Women, and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. Now, the first thing I'd like to say, William, before we get kicked off here, is that all four acting categories this year, it probably hasn't been this much of a runaway in every category for at least 10, maybe 20 years. All of the acting categories this year are not expected to bring any surprises. So there really isn't a lot to say. The winner in this category will be Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Uh, she goes back a long way in film. Uh, she's only received, I believe, one other Oscar nomination in her career uh, for a movie called Rambling Rose. That was back in 1991. So it's been almost 30 years now, and uh, I think she's going to take it. Um, her closest competitor, who could provide an upset in this category, I don't see anyone doing it other than Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. I've seen 
Every single one of these nominees, every year I see all the acting, writing, director, and best picture nominees, and some of them I've watched more than once. Um, and I've seen Jojo Rabbit twice, and I've seen Marriage Story twice. And Scarlett Johansson could, could pull off an upset, but it's a long shot. But if you want to talk about who would be a close second, she would be the one. So that's my, that's my pick for best supporting actress, Laura Dern in Marriage Story. Yeah, I have not seen that one yet, and that was another one from uh, Netflix. I know there was some controversy, and uh, Spielberg doesn't like Netflix films. He just just doesn't like them. He didn't think they should be uh, eligible for uh, Oscars. Well, what I'm going to do, William, when we get down to the Best Picture category, I'd like to talk a little bit more in depth about Best Picture because there are some very interesting historical facts that are coming out of that category this year. And I believe there are historical facts related to the idea that the motion picture business is going to be revolutionized once again, like it was in the 50s when television came in. So we'll talk about that a little later on when we get into the best picture category. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. So they have here uh, actor in a supporting role. Talk about that category. This, this is a great category, and I'll tell you why. You know, William, I'm kind of a sentimentalist, and I like to see the old-time actors mix with the new actors. We have a great crop of new actors coming up over the last five or ten years, but I really like seeing this category. This is a category of the veterans. So listen to these nominees. We have Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. We have Anthony Hopkins in The Two Popes. We have Al Pacino in The Irishman. We have Joe Pesci in The Irishman. And we have Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, again, once again, all odds say that Brad Pitt is going to pull off a win for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the only other person I can see upsetting him would be Al Pacino for The Irishman. The reason I say that is because I look at Al Pacino's career. And he was the dominant actor in the 1970s, along with Robert De Niro. I mean, they both got their start around the same time. Al Pacino was three years older than Robert De Niro. But they both got their start around the same time. And Pacino was nominated for five Oscars in the 70s. For The Godfather, Serpico, Godfather Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and, and Justice for All. And he didn't win any awards, especially not one for The mm. Godfather movies, which a lot of people find very shocking. He's received three other yeah. nominations after that. He was nominated for Dick Tracy, Glengarry Glen Ross, and Scent of a Woman in 1992, for which he won. Now, 27 years later, he has his ninth nomination for The Irishman. And the Academy may feel, they may feel that he deserves uh, to win a second Oscar, but uh, you never know what's going to happen. If he doesn't, like Laurence Olivier, Hale is the greatest actor of all time. He may only win one Oscar in his life, and I'm, you know, I'm satisfied, and I'm sure he will be too. But the reason why I think Brad Pitt is going to win, he does deserve to win. He's very good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I think that Al Pacino and Joe Pesci could split the vote right down the line, and uh, Brad Pitt is going to win. A lot of people feel that Joe Pesci is better than Pacino is in The Irishman. But, um, you know, that's a very valid point, but I, I loved Al Pacino in that movie. He plays Teamsters, Union Boss, Jimmy Hoffa, and his performance, with all due respect to Jack Nicholson's Hoffa, in 1992, Pacino's is much better. So that's, that's Best Supporting Actor. 
Okay. All right. Wow. Okay. That that's awesome. So I want to talk about. Let's look at uh, actress in a leading role. Okay. Well, this year we have uh, Cynthia Arrivo for Harriet. We have Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. We have Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. We have Charlize Theron for Bombshell. And we have Renee Zellweger for Judy. Now, there are some really interesting points about this category. Um, First of all, Scarlett Johansson is nominated for two Oscars this year. And that happens once in a while. I can't remember the last time it happened, but it has been within the last five or ten years where somebody was nominated twice. And it is a shame when you see somebody go home empty-handed after being nominated for two Oscars. But it does happen. It happened to Sigourney Weaver in 1988. She was nominated for uh, Gorillas in the Mist and for Best Actress and for Working Girl for Best Supporting Actress, and she lost in both categories. Everybody thought she was a shoe-in for Supporting Actress for Working Girl, but she didn't win. So I don't think Scarlett Johansson is going to come away with an Oscar this year, but her future looks very, very bright. Um, now we have Saoirse Ronan and Little Women. Now this adaptation of Little Women, in my view, uh, is the best one ever. It was made by Greta Gerwig, who directed it, and uh, she adapted uh, the novel, wrote the film herself. And this is much superior to uh, the 1994 version with Winona Ryder, which is probably the last really well-known version of, of this story. And, um, you know, she's, again, she's very young, and I think she's got a great career ahead of her. Now, Cynthia Arrivo, her performance was very impressive in Harriet. Uh, She plays slave liberator Harriet Tubman, and uh, I think her performance in that movie was extraordinary. I saw the film twice. It's one of the few films out of all the nominees this year that I saw twice, and I thought her performance was very, very good. Um, Now, we have Charlize Theron in Bombshell, and she plays Fox anchor Megan Kelly, who, along with a couple of other of her colleagues, uh, they sued Fox News for sexual harassment. They sued Roger Rails and Fox News for that. And the film is a very historical telling of that. And Charlize Theron has, has uh, Megyn Kelly's uh, dialect down, the way she speaks, the way she looks. It's a great makeup job as well for that film. And I was thoroughly impressed with it. I think her performance is going to be the most memorable uh, for somebody who will not win as uh, Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty in 2012 gave a fantastic performance in that movie, but she lost to Jennifer Lawrence that year for Silver Linings Playbook. So that's the last time I can remember two women giving extraordinary performances and one had to lose. When I talk about the last nominee to go up against Charlize Theron, and that is Renee Zellweger for Judy. Now, you know, Renee Zellweger has been out of the spotlight for some time, and she got this role playing Judy Garland. Uh, Judy Garland died. The film was out last year. And it was exactly 50 years after Judy Garland died in 1969. And what uh, Judy is about is her last tour in London, just before she died. And Renee Zellweger gives a great performance in this. I thought she should have won the Oscar in 2000 and, uh, 2002 for Chicago. But she lost that year, and they gave her Best Supporting Actress the year after that in 2003, for Cold Mountain. And now here we are, uh, 16 years later, and she's going to be uh, one of the few actresses that will have more than one Oscar. She'll have one for Cold Mountain, and she will have one for Judy. I think this is a slam dunk. 
Out of all the acting categories this year, uh, this is the one that has the greatest odds between her and any other performer. So uh, my pick is Renee Zellweger for Judy, and I think she, she has it in the bag more than any other performer this year. So that's, that's Best Actress. That's great. That's great. Yeah, Walter, by the way, I think toward the end there, you kind of, you're a little bit muffled there. So just make sure you're, you're close to the phone there. Okay. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me uh, now? Can you, can you hear me okay now? Yeah, I can hear you good. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good. Just make sure you're clear. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, let's talk about actor in a leading role. Well, the nominees in this category this year are Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory, Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver in Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix in Joker, and Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. Now, this category is interesting insofar as it's created a lot of controversy. Um, what I mean by that is the favorite to win is Joaquin Phoenix in Joker. Now, this performance has polarized a lot of people. It has polarized people who are film buffs and people who are strictly fans of the DC and Marvel Universe. This film turned off a lot of people who like to watch the superhero films or, in the case of the antiheroes, movies like Suicide Squad. This was by no means a commercial venture intended to entertain on a flash and dazzle level with special effects. This is a very grim, a very gritty, a very streetwise film uh, that, in my opinion, uh, pays tremendous homage to Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver from 1976. Yeah. And um, this one is almost photographed exactly the same way. Now, Joker is, is, uh, is set in 1981, and they do refer to it as Gotham City in the film. But it looks a lot like New York City, probably more than any other film set in Gotham City. This one really looks like New York. And 1981 was the year in New York City that had the worst crime in its history. So I think the, that the filmmakers researched that fact, and they put it together, and they wanted to showcase that fact in the picture. And Joaquin Phoenix, I mean, between his weight loss and the laugh that he developed and his overall his overall continuance to play depression day after day after day until the film was completed. Uh, it was a very difficult performance, and uh, I don't think that anybody else uh, really can touch it this year. Again, the only upset winner I can see in this category would probably be uh, Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Uh, he's the one that uh, people are talking about as a possible winner. The odds are, are shorter than they are in some of the other categories. So, I think that Joaquin Phoenix's performance of Joker is going to do it. And, uh, well, we've got some, some great nominees this year, but I think he's, he's the one. And, you know, I must say, in 2012, he was the favorite of a lot of critics to win for Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. And if Daniel Day-Lewis hadn't been nominated that year for Lincoln, which was probably the runaway performance of the decade for acting, I think Joaquin Phoenix would have won then, and they may feel that it's his time now. So that's that's my pick for best actor, Joaquin Phoenix in Joker. Yeah, and I like your secondary pick of uh, Adam Driver. He, Adam is probably one of the most amazing actors in the game right now. I love him and everything he's in, even even that lousy Star Wars picture I just saw him in. 
He's awesome. I have not seen Merritt's story, but that's, that's definitely on my list. A lot of actors would take the easy route and continue doing commercial venture after commercial venture after commercial venture. But Adam Driver is forging both um, an academic and a commercial career for himself. And I think he's very, very impressive. And I'm sure we'll see a lot more from him in the future. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we're going to switch gears a little bit here. and We're going to talk about the Best Director category. Well, the Best Director nominees this year, William, are Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendes for 1917, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Now, this category is a perfect mix of, of newer directors. When I say newer, most of these guys are up in age, but I'm talking about just becoming known to um, you know, audiences maybe the last five or ten years, people like Todd Phillips and uh, Bong Joon-ho, as opposed to veterans like Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese, who have been around for between you know, 25 and 50 years. So this is a perfect mix. Now, in this category, um, my pick for best director is Sam Mendes for 1917. Now, for people that are not familiar with this film, and I'll talk about it more when we get into the best picture category, um, 1917 was made to look like all one shot. Between the digital effects that they used, the camera work and the editing, it looks like one big shot with no edits, just like watching a play, you know, you sit in a live audience, you look, at a, you look at a stage, nothing changes. That's what this film tried to do on a motion picture level using great technology. It's about two soldiers that have to deliver a message um, to their fellow allies, but they have to go through enemy lines to do it. You got bombs, you got planes, you got shootings, you got everything you can imagine in a war film taking place. It's all done from one shot, and it's, it's just an incredible way. The way Sam Mendes constructed this film, it was a marvel. And, you know, you can almost say that uh, cameraman Roger Deakins, <laughs> I think in some way he deserves co-director credit because people are talking about the cinematography in this film as much as they are the, the directing techniques. Now, Sam Mendes won Best Director back in, two, uh, sorry, in 1999 for American Beauty. So it's been exactly 20 years now, and I think he's going to win his uh, second Oscar. But I have to say, William, um, this is almost a tie. It's very, very tight. It's very, very tight. And I think that uh, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite could pull off an upset. In fact, I would say it's about a 55 to 45 split. 55 going to Sam Mendes and 45 going to Bong Joon-ho. You're looking at a film like 1917, it's well done academic, academically. It's got some good acting, some good writing, but Parasite is far superior in those categories, especially in the writing categories. And um, I think that Parasite could pull off an upset, but that remains to be seen. So that's, that's about it. Yep. Now, I know we, uh, we were going to talk about Best Picture last while, and I just want to say one thing quickly, because it does relate uh-huh. to what wins Best Picture. I just want to talk quickly about the writing categories. I won't go through all the nominees. I'm only going to say that for original screenplay, I think Parasite is going to take it. And for adapted screenplay, 
I believe Jojo Rabbit is going to take it. Now, those two films won the Writers Guild of America, Parasite for original screenplay and Jojo Rabbit for adapted screenplay. Now, Quentin Tarantino is not a member of the Writers Guild, so he wasn't nominated. But he is nominated for the Oscar. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could steal the original screenplay award very easily. Um, and again, that's going to be a very tight race with Parasite. So uh, that's, that, that's, the, that's the sort of the formula. Writing and directing lead the way sometimes to telling you what is going to win best picture. So that's, that's about it. Mm. You know, I, before we move on to best pictures, what's your, how would you compare Sam Mendes to the director of uh, Birdman? Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I can see what you're getting at. You're talking about, again, another film that looks like one big shot. Um, yeah, Birdman, yeah. Uh, 2014, uh, that one best picture as well. And it has the, similar, the same similar technique that we just talked about. And that was directed by Alejandro G. Inarritu. And he won three Oscars in one night for Birdman, picture, director, and screenplay. And he won another Oscar the following year in 2015 for The Revenant. So he's really come up in the last few years. Now, the way I would compare it to Birdman is Birdman also won the cinematography Oscar. It won Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, and Cinematography. Those are the four Oscars it won. And it's a very good comparison. But I think 1917 was more difficult to pull off simply because you have to consider moving action the whole time, which is a lot more difficult to contain. I mean, when you would watch a sitcom back in the 70s, for example, you'd watch All in the Family or you'd watch Happy Days or The Odd Couple. Those were some of the first shows to be filmed with a live audience, right? So you had cameras everywhere, and the actors had to hit their mark, and the table read would be on Monday. They'd rehearse all week. They would tape the show on Friday, one East Coast taping, one West Coast taping. Then they had all the footage to put together for a half-hour episode, right? So the camera was constantly moving. The actors were constantly moving, and that's sort of what you saw in Birdman. But with 1917, you're looking at a lot of digitized effects, mixed with the real-life actors, mixed with a lot of the digital backgrounds, and the way they were able to put it together seamlessly so that it looks like all one shot. So that's a very good point you brought up, uh, comparing Birdman to 1917. There is a very big similarity between both films. Yeah, they're very, very great films. Okay, so last but not least, uh, let's talk about Best Picture. Sure. Well, for Best Picture this year, William, we have 1917, Ford versus Ferrari, which is a film we haven't talked about yet, but I will get into that, uh, The Irishman, uh, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, William, uh, if it's okay with you, this is the category that I wanted to talk about the most. I won't get too bogged down with this category. But there are some very historical things that I think we should talk about. Now, we already covered most of it with 1917, okay? Now, with 1917 this year, I think that that film deserves to win Best Picture. And if, if I had a ballot, I would probably vote for it. I think, however, 1917 is going to be the gravity of this year. Gravity was made in 2013 with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. And that was directed by Alfonso Curian. That was a technical sweep across the board. It won seven Oscars. But the best picture that year was 12 Years a Slave, and that won 
three Oscars, but it won the big academic ones, Supporting Actress, Adapted Screenplay, and Pitcher. And I will get into what I think is going to win Best Pitcher as we go along here. So that builds a little bit of tension, <laughs> as you might say here. So something to look forward to at the end here. Next, we have Ford versus Ferrari. Now, this is a racing film set in 1966. It's set during uh, uh, the height of the racing uh, world's um, most well-known people. And um, it's with Christian Bale and Matt Damon. And Christian Bale, in my view, was one of the most overlooked people last year for Best Actor. And we'll touch on that when we get into people that were overlooked in a few minutes there. But Ford versus Ferrari is a very well-edited film. It looks like it could have been made in 1966. That's how authentic the photography looks, the production design, and everything. It's a wonderful movie about car racing, and it will be out on home video two days after the Oscars. Uh, next Tuesday, it'll be out. Now, The Irishman. This is one film that we should talk about on an in-depth level. Netflix is changing the game. Netflix is changing the game. It's changing the game like like uh, motion pictures and TV went head-to-head back in the 50s. Netflix, uh, a lot of people are staying home to watch TV now. They're not going to the theaters anymore. Netflix paid $105 million for The Irishman, and they really wanted to craft this film and get it out there for the uh, home audiences to see. It did play in theaters, but it was a limited release when it came out. And it played around here in my city. We had two new retro theaters. It just opened up in the last year, and the Irishman played there. But I think a lot of people now are going out to see the big special effects films, like the Marvel films, the DC films, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to, you know, smaller productions with better acting, directing, writing, a lot of older folks like that stuff, and they're staying home now because the population is getting older. And films like The Irishman and Marriage Story are two big contenders this year. Now, The Irishman, I think, got, got overlooked a lot. It has not won a single award this year. Nothing from the British Academy Awards, nothing from the Golden Globes, Directors Guild, Writers Guild, nothing. It's won absolutely nothing. It's up for 10 Oscars, and I think Martin Scorsese could be looking at a second major defeat going back to 2002 with Gangs of New York, which was also nominated for 10 Oscars but didn't win anything. I think the Irishman, with the same amount of nominees, will finish the same way, unfortunately. Now, the next nominee is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, we've talked about that one. Jojo Rabbit is very well made. Um, it's a very, it's a darkly comic film about a boy. He's a Nazi youth in Hitler's army during World War II. And um, his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is hiding a Jewish girl in the attic of their house. And uh, he has to go along to protect the girl and his mother as well from the Nazis. And it's a very, very nice movie. And uh, I will talk about Jojo Rabbit in another way at the end here, uh, something that might surprise a lot of people. Uh, we have Joker. Now, Joker surprised me by being the film with the most nominations this year. It has 11. And I didn't think with all the technical prowess of uh, The Irishman, with its de-aging special effects, making the actors look younger, having a lot yeah. more diversity in its production design. It's set over a 20- or 25-year period. But 1917 and The Irishman got 10 nominations each, and uh, Joker received 11. That did surprise me, but it does deserve it. 
Uh, we have Little Women, uh, which is up for six. Little Women is up for six Oscar nominations this year, including Best Picture, uh, that, which we're talking about right now, and Best Actress for Saoirse Ronan. And I think it's a very good, as I mentioned earlier, it is the best adaptation uh, I've ever seen of the story. And we have Marriage Story up for six, and we also have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we have Parasite. So Parasite, that's what I wanted you to look forward to, William. Parasite is my pick for Best Picture this year. I think you're going to see Sam Mendes win Best Director, but I think you're going to see Parasite pull off an upset. Parasite has been doing very well on the Guild circuit. It won the Writers Guild, the Editors Guild. It won Best Cast in a Motion Picture at the Screen Actors Guild, and it won the Cannes Film Festival Palm Dior Prize for Best Picture. And I think that Parasite will win for a number of reasons, what I'm going to get to in a minute, but I want us to get a moment of pause there and just okay. we'll continue this in a moment. So those are my those are my things. I think Parasite's the best picture, possibly upset by 1917. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, we'll see. I mean, that's why we watch the Oscars to see what what's going to happen. Uh, we did want to touch on uh, some movies that. Uh, you know, should have been nominated but weren't. So talk about a few of Exactly. Those. Exactly. Now, what I said a minute ago there about having a moment of pause before we talk about our next subject, you just brought it up, and I'm glad you did. There is a tremendous lack of diversity this year among the nominees. Uh, we only have one person of color this year nominated. That's Cynthia Arrivo and Harriet. A lot of performances were overlooked this year, and I think that is a real shame. We have Lapita Nyong'o. For us, we also have Aquafina for the farewell, both in the best uh, actress category, not nominated. In fact, the movie The Farewell was praised by the critics and by all the award circuits this year. They've got zero Oscar nominations, and I think that's a, that's a real shame. Um, for best actor, uh, we have Eddie Murphy in My Name Is Dolomite. Um, again, a great performance, but he did not come up with anything, any nominations this year. And Kang Ho Sung for uh, Parasite, for Best Supporting Actor. I mean, these are, these are roles of diversity where the actors gave great performances, but they simply were not nominated. And I think, again, that's, that's something the Academy has to take a hard look at in the future. And other nominees this year, we have, um, well, we have Nicole Kidman in The Goldfinch and Bombshell. And she wasn't nominated for any, either of those this year, for Supporting Actress. We have Jennifer um, Lopez in Hustlers. She did very well on the award circuit this year, but she was snubbed by the Academy. For Best Supporting Actor, we have Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. He was also overlooked. Supporting Actress, we have um, Annette Benning for a movie called The Report, where she plays Senator Diane Feinstein. She wasn't nominated. Kate Blanchett gave a performance in a film by Richard Linklater called Where Do You Go, Bernadette? It's about a wife and mother who sacrificed her architectural career for 20 years to raise her family, and she's fallen into a deep state of depression. And I thought that was one of the most overlooked performances of the year. And then in the Best Actor category, we have uh, Robert De Niro for The Irishman, Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems, and Taron Egerton for Rocket Man. Now, Taron Egerton won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical, and that is usually an automatic Oscar nomination. And he wasn't nominated. And then in the Best Picture category, uh, we have Knives Out and The Two Popes. 
which I thought should have been included. You know, the Academy is very schizophrenic. They nominate between eight and ten nominees every year. And most of the time it's nine. Sometimes it's eight. Back in the early days of doing this, there were a couple that were nominated, a couple of years where ten movies were nominated. But um, nine films are nominated this year. And if I was going to pick a tenth film, I would have picked The Two Popes. Uh, That is a wonderful movie with Jonathan Price as Pope Francis and Anthony Hopkins as uh, Pope Benedict. And uh, they get together to talk about their roles in the church, their differing opinion on things, and the future of the Catholic Church and where it's headed. So that was that was a great movie. So that's that's pretty much it. That's quite a list. That's quite a list. And I guess we live in a great time, uh, Walter, where there's just so much talent out there. You know, William, I said that back in the last decade, I may have mentioned this last year on the show, I can't remember, but um, in the last decade, between 2000 and 2009, in my opinion, the motion picture industry took a big dip. The quality was not there like it had been in the 90s. The 80s were, again, the 80s were a decade of mass commercialism. We didn't have the art and the academic glory that we had in the 70s and the 90s, which to me were better decades for film. In the 2000s there, I believe with the advent of the Internet and technology being what it was, I believe that the motion picture industry dipped in favor of technology, just like it dipped in the 1960s when music was the dominant force of that decade. However, now in this decade, last decade I should say now, but we're coming to the end of the awards for the last decade. The last decade, I think there was a huge increase academically and technically in, uh, in films. I think the writing and the directing and the acting in films, they found new stories to tell. There was a lot of freshness in film, despite people saying, oh, we got you know this film, number four, number five, whatever. While all that is going on, if you are a film buff paying attention every year, there are still filmmakers coming up with original stories or telling stories from a different perspective that have already been told before. And I think we had an extraordinary decade last year, and I think we had an extraordinary year for film in 2019, and I hope it continues into this decade. I hope so, too, Walter. I really hope so. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. And the last I heard, there will will not be a host uh, for the Oscars. Is that true? Well, that is true. This is the second year in a row there will be no host. Now, the first time I saw this happen was back in the 80s. I think it was 84 or 85. I can't remember. But instead of having no host, what they did was they had a rotating number of hosts. They had, um, like it was usually a man and a woman, and a different couple would come out every time there was a new category to announce. There was no real opening monologue, nothing of a controversial nature like you would see from Ricky Gervais or Robin Williams or anything manic like that. It was strictly a straight-on presentation of the nominees that year. And I got to be honest, the last few years, I really haven't been that impressed with a lot of the hosts, uh, probably because they can't find anybody that wants to do it every year. I mean, back in the fifties and sixties, Bob Hope did it for many, many years. And then we had Billy Crystal there in the eighties, do it for a few years. And then he kind of went away for a while and came back, but he never really wanted to do it on a steady basis. If they could find a good host, that could do it year in and year out, sign them to a long-term contract, maybe a five- or ten-year contract, then we might get some more mileage out of having a host. 
The last truly good host that I enjoyed at the Oscars was Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman hosted the Oscars back in 2009 or 2010, and I thought he did a really good job. And uh, he's the last great host in my view. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's very, very, very talented. Okay, Walter, well, I guess we're getting near the end of the show here. Um, And I think uh, we've kind of covered most of the ground. It's going to be a a great show. I'm really looking forward to seeing who the winners are. Uh, I haven't really, you know, as you you were saying your picks, I was thinking about some of my picks. And admittedly, a lot of the films I haven't seen but uh yeah it'll be it'll be fun to see uh how close you come to uh actually what happens. You know I must say one thing I don't like to brag but last year I had every single category right for the first time. <laughs> I do oh, I do every amazing. single I do every single I do every single category. Uh, I don't follow like documentary short films or live action or whatever because the audience those are not readily available to the public. But in the 18 or 19 major categories, for the first time, I had them all right last year. But I got to tell you, I'm not that impressed. I'll tell you why. Because if the Oscars are too easy to predict, then they aren't that much fun. I think we all like to see surprises. And I would like to be wrong in a few categories this year. And if we get a surprise, I think the diversity is so good this year and the talent is so good overall that I think anybody that I've mentioned here tonight deserves to win an Oscar. So that's pretty much my uh, my final word on things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess uh, it would be funny if people started doing pools like uh, the NCAA basketball. That would be that would be funny. <laughs> you know, I mentioned so many people yeah. that were left out, William, that I think what they should consider doing maybe is expanding the acting categories to more than five people. You know, best picture. Yeah. I mean, this all started with The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight wasn't nominated for Best Picture in 2008, and that was the year that uh, ended the Best Picture reign at only five movies. They expanded it after that. And now with performances being so good and people being left out now, and we talk about all the diversity that's been left out of this year's Oscars, even Joaquin Phoenix and Prince William talked about it at the uh, British Academy Awards on Sunday, that maybe they should expand the uh, category now to uh, nine or ten nominees uh, just to be able to include everyone and make it a fair shot for everyone. So that might be a good idea, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Walter, I've uh, really enjoyed our conversation. It's it's always a pleasure. Me too. Always a pleasure, William, and I want to thank you again very much for having me on the show this year. Cheers. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Cheers. Okay. All right, Walter, man, boy, you have a great night. You too, William. Take care, and all the best to you. Enjoy the show. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Absolutely. I will. Okay. Good night. Yes, folks, and remember out there in Radio Land, especially if you're a performer, to do something for your career each and every day. And remember to break a leg. Night. Under the dark you pacify me Hold my breath Take me down, I won't fight Beat on my heart, you drum inside me 
Like a sin when you're beside me. 